Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, it's Joe Suchere and Patrick Royce with Sports Talk. Coming up, we'll replay uh, Judd and Mackey's interview with Paul Molitor, Manager of the Year in the American League. I'm not surprised. That broke last night when we were signing off about uh, 5.55 because they have an hour-long Manager of the Year show. Yeah. But they managed to spread her out till about 5.55 before they, they announced the first one at the end of the first half hour. Then they announced the second one. I am, I'm glad I didn't vote because I've had the Manager of the Year a lot, but I didn't have it this year. Because I think I might have voted for Hinch, and uh, and that would have made me look like an idiot. Because only how did he get only one first place vote? I don't know. They didn't make the playoffs last year, and they were uh, you know he did pretty. He, they had a hell of a club, and uh, you know I know it comes at the end of the regular season, but they basically until September first had one starting pitcher, Keichel. Hmm. So Wait, anyway. more important things. Forget sports on sports yeah. talk. What? Did they really? Uh, did they cut into that nothing bunt cakes? Yes, out there's there? cake out there. Yeah, you know how good that cake is. Mm-hmm. Is it's, that what you were looking at? Yeah, mm-hmm. Nordicware, Nordicware, and nothing bunt cakes. And I saw that Pat had a little slice, <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm checked out I right mean, now. I'm thinking he's checking out something technical. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> zeroed this in is, on the uh, fact that you had a piece look, of cake. And I kind of hit it behind. Yeah, no, myself. you don't have to hide it. It's a, I kinda, but, I'm a wide guy. The I note thought on I the, had it hid. The note on the nothing bunt cake box said. If you cut into this cake, you will die. And I believe that was a direct quote from Bradley Trainer. Well, yeah, but Brad took it out because he was waiting for his partner, and then something happened. So okay. he's he's a, he, he's the guy that opened up the box. Look at him; he has yeah. laser focus. You guys, how about nuts, the wild? You? Yeah, you guys talked a wild. I'm going to go get a plate. You're of like uh, <laughs> you're like uh, uh, Kenny with Chick Fil A, man. Oh. When Chick Fil A came in. I've never <laughs> had a piece yet. Do you remember when Kenny, Kenny would th- was so? We, he was throwing the buns away, though, and I just grabbed, eating the chicken. I grabbed two for him. Yes. But we should have played the prank that we didn't save any for him, but I didn't have him. We would have been so heartbroken no, and he would have so angry. He would have went out and got his... Uh, his yeah. Uh, yeah, we would have been in big trouble. He would have shot me. He would have shot me. That's right. That's right. Yeah, very good bun cake, Rook. I recommend it highly. New. How about another shout-out for Doobie? Yeah. Did he sell? Did he make a deal with the devil? That's what I want to know. Boy, he's playing well. And he was playing terrible. I know. And but, now he's three in a row. And that was a much closer game than three nothing. Those were two empty net goals, and the yes. Wild were in their own end most of the too game. Too many, uh, too damn many low scoring games for them when other teams are putting a. There's a lot of four three games. Five, Who's got four the games. sports section in there? I thought I had mine. I, do. I don't have it. I got it right here. What Nashville. were the shots? Nashville's in here Thursday, and they're, they they started off kind of shaky, but they're getting it going now. They saw they won a road game last night, so mm-hmm. they're they're starting to roll All a little right. bit. Your shots were Philadelphia thirty, Wild twenty. Mm-hmm. Well, they were so clearly getting outplayed. Philly had in the ten third more period. shots, Joe. Yep. Well, we got Doobie though. What do we care? What a comeback though. He was like. He was one of their big deficits. Right? It just goes to show you that uh, this early in the year, you can't freak out. No, that's true. That's true. You just got to take what you get. But mm-hmm. I thought hockey was different in that regard, though, because it's so hard to make up ground once the, you know. Yeah, but that's that's when you got forty games left, not when you got seventy. <laughs> you know, they were, they their their heart their bad streak was the first thirteen games, which is 
not 20% of the season. So, that's, Although uh, there is some truism to being in the hunt around Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Well, this is Thanksgiving, and they're in the hunt. So it's hard to get out of the hunt, too. In that, you know, in that league, because everybody's all bunched no, up. No, it's easy if you're Arizona. You're well, not in the yeah. hunt. Yeah. Two, uh, I was talking to our new hockey writer today, Sarah McClellan. She's a new writer for the Strip. She hasn't really started uh, writing off the games yet, but she will this week. Uh, but she was covering the Coyotes. Oh, yeah. And she uh, left the beat. <laughs> Uh, without seeing a victory this year, a really? couple of times. The one game they only they, got two, don't they? The one, yeah, the one game they won while well, was a road trip that they didn't cover. So mm -hmm. uh, she was uh, she, she she has not seen a home team. Now she was at the game last night. She wasn't covering it, but that was the first home team victory she's seen this season. I wonder what's going to happen in that franchise. You think they'll end up in Hamilton? No. They're not going to survive there. They're not going to draw no, anybody. But if they end up anywhere, it'll be Seattle. Really? But here's the problem now. The NHL just got $500 million for an expansion fee. So they don't want teams to just move to places where they think they can get $500 million as an expansion Who fee. they get $500 Vegas. Million? Oh, they did. That's right. Gave them $500 million, right. About Twice what a franchise is worth. And they each share that. Each owner gets yeah, a cut. Yeah, they all get uh, thirty of them. Get a get a you know, our guy Leopold got sixteen, seventeen million, which in hockey is real money. Oh yeah. Some other sports it's not, but in hockey that's real oh, money. Oh yeah, that's a nice deal. And you know Seattle's apparently solving their arena problem, but do they have somebody up there who's going to say, yeah, okay, we'll write you out a check for five hundred? And the trouble with the Canadian one, you know, Quebec. Has the arena? They want a team. Yeah, but you write out a check for five hundred million Amer U.S. You're writing out a check for seven hundred million dollars to get a franchise. Mm -hmm. If you're a Canadian, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know I if hockey franchises are worth it. No, they aren't. The television revenue money isn't there compared to other sports. No, that's uh, that's exactly what the problem is. But it's criminal not to have hockey in Quebec. Yes. That's the Colorado franchise mm -hmm. came from Quebec. Back in the day when we sent Charlie Holman to Quebec on uh, to cover the Nordiques and the Saints, we were wondering if we'd ever see him again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is that when he told the wife he was going out for milk? No, that was when he covered the NCAA hockey final in Syracuse. But, That's right. uh, but Quebec was uh, quite the city, I guess, for uh, nightlife. If you were mm -hmm. interested, so, oh yeah, mm -hmm. that's a that's on the that's on the uh, bucket list mm -hmm. too. We got to break early so we can listen to Molly, right? Uh, we do need to uh, we do need to take a break early because we're going to uh, have that as soon as we come back. Sports talk. Rewarded yesterday, winning the American League Manager of the Year award, and, and Paul joins us right now. Did you know, Paul? Only two humans in the history of the universe have been Manager of the Year and in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and you're one of those two human beings. Congratulations! Hey, good morning to you guys. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, they asked me about that yesterday. That I, there hasn't really been all that many guys that have found their way into Cooperstown that, you know, elected to stay around in the game either in coaching or manager roles. But, uh, you know, recent history, we had Ryan Sandberg and, you know, you go back to Ted Williams and Yogi and Frank Robinson, of course, I think was, was the other guy to win it. But hard to explain. You know, I think, I think a lot of guys just when they're done playing and they've had those type of careers just move on to different things. But uh, it's kind of one of those little trivial uh, 
anecdotes to uh, to that selection process yesterday. Hey, Paul, with with a, a guy like Ted, and we, we've seen certainly some Hall of Fame great players get, get this chance. One problem for them has has been the ability to identify with with the common player because they were so good. Is that tough at times? And and how much as you uh, took this job and got into it, did you have to slow yourself down because you see tons of things and were, were such a good player? How much did you have to adjust your thought process to realize that a lot of guys weren't like you? Well, I, I think that you know patience is a huge requirement. Uh, whether you're in player development or coaching or managing, I, I think that spending all the time that I did in our organization, being around our players at all the various levels, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to make these guys better, you know, both better people, better players, uh, anything that you can do to try to help them see their dreams come true. But, you know, I, I just look at it that I, I, I remind myself every day that this, this is a really hard game. And, uh, you know, you, you would like to see – certain things that happen that don't and you sometimes get a little frustrated but you remember that that's uh, something that you endured as a player too so I, I just think trying to be empathetic and understanding that the game's not as easy as it might look sometimes when you watch it on television what's the thing paul about this game that uh, that drives you the most crazy sometimes that guys that you see and say i did this well or it should be done well and right now as a rule in the game it's probably not done as successfully as as you think it should be well you guys know i mean there's a lot of things in the game that have changed but one thing that i've had trouble just accepting and being tolerant towards is the acceptance of strikeouts um you know i i just think that we have got to a point where hey everyone's just they find reasons to, to justify, you know, the pitching's better, there's more home runs, uh, you win the game with the long ball. But, uh, you know, some of the best players in, in the game now are striking out 150 to 190 times. And I think everyone's kind of just accepted that. I, I see what Houston did and their, you know, concerted effort to try to really get better at putting the ball in play with two strikes, and I saw how it paid dividends. So I think that's the one thing that, that really gets – gets to me is the fact that you know we had eight nine guys strike over 100 times and nobody thinks too much of it it, it almost feels like we're going through it like when the nba went through a three-point renaissance five or six years ago and all of a sudden like re- three-point records were, were being shattered year after year sure. steph curry just pulling up from 35 feet it kind of yeah. feels that way with home runs and, and the art of hitting and whether the ball is different or not i guess you know maybe we'll find out someday but launch angle and and, and you kind of mentioned it with uh, with the acceptance of strikeouts. Does it feel like with the home run barrage and the velocity uptick in baseball that we're going through kind of a a new era in some ways, a renaissance? Yeah, I, th- I think that we've trended in that direction. I mean, you look at the last 20 to 25 years, you know, first we, we got through the whole steroid thing and we, everyone was trying to figure out just how much that impacted the game and how it was played and, and we got back to playing a little bit more of a fundamental game for a short term, and now it's kind of trended back to the home run strikeout. Um, I do think pitching is a part of that, but you know, to me, there's always a way to make adjustments to give yourself an opportunity. That, I, it's just one of those things that you want to keep guys, especially the ones that aren't getting the dividends of the home runs, the guys that aren't hitting the ball over the fence and they're still striking out that much. That, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Paul Molitor, American League Manager of the Year, with us here. Mackie and Judd were downtown Minneapolis. Uh, how has if if you go back to your different you know your different phases of baseball as a Hall of Fame player yeah. and then working with front office and minor league uh, coordinator coach how has 
the manager slash front office dynamic or even like just the field staff and the player relationship with front office how has that changed over the years well a lot of the changes have come from the increase in, in information and the analytics and the parts of the game that we've learned to uh break down to uh to new depths that you know give, give you a little bit better insight to not only your players but who you're competing against and I think the dynamic between front office and, and managers has changed in that regard because there's so much more being filtered down on a daily basis that um, they still give you flexibility and freedom to do your job, but you know that they expect you to be able to handle this information and try to apply it to your team to make it as competitive as possible. If I, if I, could, if I could grant you a wish, Paul, but it's just one um, on the market, go out and sign a top-notch starter or bullpen help, where, where, where would you start? Which would you take? I would, I would go the starter route, personally. I mean, I, 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 believe me, I'm not going to turn down any upgrades in pitching, whatever we might do. I do know that Derek and Thad are both you know, very committed to trying to find ways to uh, supplement our pitching and upgrade it, hopefully, um, whether it's, you know, obviously we still have some hope in our system, some guys that we feel are, are getting really close to being impact up at the, this level, but either trades or some of the free agents, um, I, I'd be surprised if we're not somewhat active in trying to find ways to uh, to change a little, a little bit of look at that pitching staff. And hopefully we don't have to go through 36 guys next year, too. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, man, that was... That'd be uh, a good start, Paul. Yeah, that's you're right. Yeah. Do you, do you guys, I mean, there are some firepower-loaded teams just watching the haymakers that the Dodgers and the Astros threw at each other, yeah. and uh, Indians won. They didn't lose for a month uh, in, in the second half of the year. Do you feel like with the right upgrades, the, you know, if, is it realistic to suggest the Twins can be World Series contenders next season, Paul? Well, I, I think that it will depend on, on how our pitching shapes up. You know, you guys know, you, you know, you watch those games, even though they go until 12, 1 in the morning, they're... The, the, the bridge that we need to find a way to uh, cross over is is the difference in pitching staffs. I mean, the, the way the guys that these teams ran out there, whether it was Houston or Cleveland or the Dodgers, uh, they just keep coming. And uh, it, it changes the way guys are able to manage the game. I thought Hinch did a great job of being creative with his staff and finding ways to, you know, use his starters and relief rules and all those type of things. But, yeah, I, I think that if we can find ways to, you know, Improve that pitching. Obviously, you need good health. You need to get a couple surprises, some help from your system. Maybe a couple of your injured guys come back and contribute, whether it's Hughes or Trevor May and people like that. But, yeah, that, that'll be the big key for us to be able to keep, keep pushing forward and try to get to the next step. I mean, the scary thing watching that World Series and those lineups, you had some of the best pitchers in the world, the, the Clayton Kershaws, the Ken Giles, Kenley Jansons, and they couldn't get outs. You know, I mean, they're throwing 100 miles an hour with off-speed stuff, and they can't get outs against those lineups. And it's not an indictment on those pitchers. That's just kind of the state of, of those teams right now. Yeah, it's impressive when when you see that type of velocity coming out of the pen or guys that are starting games and, and to see these guys be able to compete and battle and find ways to still, you know, get big hits and hit the ball over the fence. It just shows you the eliteness of the guys that, that get to that point each and every year. And, uh, you know, we have some... Our, our young players are, are tremendously exciting, and we all think that they're uh, they're heading in the right direction. But we got to find a way to, to give them a little bit more support on the pitching side. You talked about time of game, Paul. Uh, in your mind, 
Are games too long now? And and if so, what are some ideas that that you might have to get them down a little yeah. bit? Because it does it does seem that we are going now for three plus hours on a regular regular basis. Yeah, and I don't know how they're going to change that. It's uh, it's concerning because I do think that we lose some of the more casual fans because of lack of action. You know, I, I think the combination of strikeouts and walks are at an all-time high in terms of percentage of at-bats that result in those two outcomes. And, uh, you know, the, the visits to the pitching mound in the postseason, the change of pitchers, all those things are just creating very, very long games. And if the games are good and there's enough to keep you interested, it's one thing, but we all know there's there's many, many games that don't have that kind of uh, ability to, to hold your interest. So we got we got to keep finding ways to try to keep our game at a little bit better pace. Uh, another, another minute or two here with Paul Molitor, American League Manager of the Year, joining us on Mackey and Judd. And from the outside looking in, uh, it, it, I mean, the results spoke for themselves for you guys on the field. It looked like you and the new front office tandem obviously blended well in terms of the results on the field. I, I got to ask you, did you feel at all disrespected by not getting an extension in the season or the perception that it took a long time uh, several days after the year? Was there anything about that process that, that rubbed you the wrong way, Paul? Absolutely not, to be honest with you. I I understand um, from the beginning, you know, com- uh, conversing with Derek and Thad last winter, it, it was very clear that they were going to spend, you know, a good 8 to 12 months evaluating our organization from top to bottom and i was a part of that process and you know i it's like i told the players at the trade deadline i if you're going to worry about what other people are going to do and and take away from what you need to do yourself it's it's not a very good formula for success so i just let it play out um they had informed me that they were going to just hold off on that and we stayed in the race i knew that it would have been a distraction so you know we just went ahead and finished the season the best way that we could. And then, you know, I was very grateful when it ended the way it did. You know, don't get me wrong, right. but I certainly did hold it against those guys. Hey, Paul, how, how much to, did you have to alter or change your thought process during the course of the year, just as far as what was brought to you information-wise, uh, as far as what was presented from a new train of thought? How yeah. much did, did you end up having to sort of alter things a little bit in how you think about baseball or approach it, games? It, it's not really that you change and who you are and what you think about players and what you think is important but you just have more resources to you know analyze the competition in your own guys and and be able to make better decisions so there's no question that the things that were added you know it influenced how i constructed lineups or you know made decisions in game um but yeah i i think to that these guys you know, Derek and Thad, they, they never came down and said, you need to play this guy or this has to go this way and this guy should close and this guy should be your long man. It was, you know, hey, this is the information. Take it, talk to your coaches, and go ahead and try to make the best decisions that you can. Was there one or two things where they they presented ideas early on and you said, that's intriguing. I mean, was, was there anything that you hadn't thought of previously that got uh, put down in, in front of you and, and you actually embraced a lot? No, I, it was something I was looking forward to. I mean, I had heard and talked to other managers and coaches about some things that other teams were doing in terms of things that they had at their disposal that was influencing the way that they used their players or whatever decisions they would make. And, you know, when we hired Jeff Pickler uh, as quality control coach and Jeremy Hefner came in as our advanced scout um, who works in clubhouse, you know, they were just able to put together 
you know, unbelievable information. It was concise. It was easy to interpret and things that I was able to use and apply to our team. So <clears throat> it's hard to get into the, the specifics of that because there were so many things. You know, I got more information on my desk pregame and <laughs> I can't even compare it to the first couple of years. But it was just, you know, it gives you more things to study before the games and, and hopefully the team's better for it. All right, that uh, concludes the interview. That was uh, Paul Molitor on with Judd and Mackie, and we're going to take our break. Uh, Sports Talk will continue right after this. Let's do another interview. <laughs> what else you got? Here's John Hines. <laughs> it's cloudy and 33 degrees. Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer announcing today Case Keenum will be his starter against the Rams. It's a bluff. It's a bluff. You're going with the bluff. I'm still going huh? with Teddy. Okay. Well, Keenum has led the Vikings to five straight wins. Uh, During that span, he's completed 67% of his throws and thrown eight touchdowns and five interceptions. Uh, Jimmy Fallon will present a live telecast Sunday, February 4th from the Orpheum Theater, just a few blocks away from the Super Bowl. The special episode will air after the recap of the game, a new episode of This Is Us, and the late local news. It will. So, in other words, it'll be on about 1 in the morning. It'll be on very late, Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, no guests have been announced, but of course his good buddy Justin Timberlake doing the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Mm. Boy, are you, how how excited are you about having the Super Bowl in town here, Johnny? Uh, I I have no opinion. <laughs> I do get the kick out of all the people complaining that they can't they don't have access to the train on Sunday. Yeah, I've been on the train on Sunday. Afternoon. There's about four people on the damn thing. These, oh, you, are you talking are, about a busy Sunday then? Yeah, four people. Yeah, yeah. Well, but maybe oh, they I, should, they should ride. Uh, at least let, these people are going to have to pay. Yeah, right. 30 bucks. Yeah. 30 bucks. Tell those crybabies to ride their bicycles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, they, but there's. There's no traffic on Sunday, but they still want to complain because it's uh, the the elite are getting to ride the the, the elite train. are getting a ride to the People's Stadium on the People's Train. Mm-hmm. Sounds like communism. Yeah. And by the way, they might make more money on that day charging thirty bucks a right, pop right. than they will the rest of the year combined because you people don't pay. <laughs> Timberwolves. I thought in they were doing today. pretty good, aren't they? No, I don't know. No, no. Oh. Thought it was paying for itself. No, really? Are you kidding? That's Heavily subsidized. That is shocking. I demand to have my ticket looked at when I'm on it. Yes. Hey, look at this. Guy. Joe walks up to random people to show them. See, I got the senior rate. I got the. Uh... You're waiting for the conductor to come strolling yeah, I through. I want it punched too. I want it punched. <laughs> Tim rules in action tonight. They're at home against San Antonio. News notes from today, Governor Mark Dayton responding today to recent allegations of sexual harassment leveled to two state lawmakers by saying he'll impanel senior agency leaders to conduct a review of sexual harassment policies and procedures. The governor saying there's no place for people like this in the workplace and government or anywhere else in Minnesota. Policies and there procedures. There already are policies yeah, against it. Reviewing those policies and procedures isn't going to stop a thing. The governor's comments come on the heels of sexual harassment allegations in the last week against State Senator Dan Schoen and State Representative Tony Cornish. Meanwhile, we we already know that this is not what you're supposed to do, right? right? right. We don't need new policies. We got the policies. (laughs) Meanwhile, the cottage... We need the Ricey plan. Castorate all males (laughs) at birth after we fill up vats with sperm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the hell of a plan, Pat. Yeah, it's uh, um, there would be no sexual harassment. I'm going to come out against that. <laughs> I'm again. 
Thanks, Preebs. Is your dad still working at the plant? Yeah, we got about uh, four big uh, uh, barrels. Yeah. Can you yeah. bring home a couple of gallons for me? Skim, skim a few off the top. Uh, I, feel, I, feel, I mean, I'm feeling like I'm going to have a really good weekend. Can you bring home a couple of gallons? Yikes. We could turn Three Mile Island into a sperm bank. It right. would be great. Yeah. <laughs> really, you're uh, gagging. <laughs> Wow. I don't know. I don't All know. I say is we're ba- the male gender is we're bad folks. That's all I got. And that would, though, kind of go from a a big high to a big low when you're in line at the clinic to say, <laughs> I'm all done, hey! And they say, you got to go to room B now. Right, and, uh, well, that's uh, great to hear. Right, yeah. <laughs> now you get to go see Dr. Two Stevens. John Hyde in the newsroom. Some, sometimes my newscasts take a really weird well, turn. You have to really, plow forward, really, really so to speak. Pat, uh, <laughs> Pat was outside uh, during the interview and uh, when I was doing the podcast, and he caught my... Uh, Dengue and yeah. severe dengue scenario. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Yeah. You want dengue. You don't want severe <laughs> dengue. You know? But the guys giving each other a heart. Why did you tell Lisa I had severe dengue? You know, it's... That was Kenny that had the severe dengue. Yeah, right. I just had dengue. I don't even know what that is. We were talking about third world countries. John Height in the Boy, news. Let me, let me just tell this one to Kenny. It was okay. We were talking about okay. third world countries. And then we were talking about um, uh, how women suffer greatly, and somehow we got to dengue and severe dengue. It's a mosquito-borne illness that you yeah, get. And I said, think of those guys sitting around the village, around the campfire, the rabbits on the uh, the spit, the crispy rabbit on the spit. Can I and- weigh in a second here? Yeah. Uh, here's John Hyde. <laughs> no, no. And, and Umbu, I tried that Umbu says to Uki, who, who is sitting about with a bunch of girls are trying to get lucky, he says, oh, hey, hey, is that rabbit done yet? And the other guy says, hey, hey, shut up. It'll be done soon. And remember when you had severe dengue? And the other guy says, I just had dengue. I didn't have severe dengue. And why did you say that in front of Lisa? I'm trying to get lucky. Here's John Hyde with the news. Well, thanks, Rook. You cracked Ricey up. Yeah. Ohio is called off earlier. You got the he got the knotted club in his hand. Oh yeah, and that and that rabbit is just getting super crispy on that spit. Oh yeah. Thanks, Joe. You tell me to forge ahead and you keep asking questions. That a boy. Way to go, Joe. Ohio has called off the execution of a sick inmate. After unsuccessful attempts to insert an IV into his arms and one of his legs. When are we gonna do it, John? Tomorrow maybe? Well they can't find the next veins. day. Just they let can't him find die. any veins. Members of the Ohio execution team. Just the guy they're going to prop up with a pillow. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. Members of the Ohio execution team tried to find veins in the arms and right leg of death row prisoner Alva Campbell for about 25 minutes before they finally stopped. Prison's director Gary Moore said the team did its best, but the condition of Campbell's veins had changed since checks. This is only the third time in U.S. history an execution has been called off after the process has begun. Uh, Campbell, due to be executed for a 1997 carjack killing, shook hands with two members of the execution team and wiped tears away. The prison's agency also gave the condemned inmate a wedge-shaped pillow to help him breathe during the attempted execution. Yeah, they had to help was... him breathe while they killed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was yeah. lying flat. Two things, want him though. to be uncomfortable. Right. You're missing one important item in this story, John. His What's new, that? His new date. You know, you know when the new date is? No, I do not. June yeah. 5th. 2019. Really? I kid you not. Julie just tweeted. Does he get his last meal every day now? Or does that they get a new last meal? He just bought a couple of years. Mm -hmm. 
I'm in trouble if I ever am in execution because I got a vein here. You got a sexy one? I got a vein right here. They just. Oh, those nurses like that. Why don't they torment this guy and just keep going in there each and every day as if he's going to die? I can't find another one. See you tomorrow. Hey, Rook, uh, back to your dengue story. Oh, why would the, the the feast, when you're trying to court the lady, why would the feast be rabbit? It's all they, it's all they could catch. Oh. All they, could, they don't have like a Publix to, down know, there. I'm myself for sticking through it. Mm-hmm. John, uh, going to the you Publix. didn't get very far, did you? I really didn't. No. no. It'll be good, though, when we come back. Huh. Six Czechoslovakian tourists who dressed up in skimpy swimsuits made famous by Saka Baron Cohen's Borat have been detained by authorities in the capital of Kazakhstan. No, Kazakhstan. How do you say it? Kazakhstan. 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 Thank you. Uh, Sporting the lime green mankinis and black wigs, (laughs) the men had hoped to take a picture in front of the I Love Astana sign. But local police saw them and took action, detaining them on Friday. Mm Finding them the equivalent of $68. You know what the equivalent of $68 is there? No. 22,500 tengi. Whoa, oh, man, that's a lot of tengi. <laughs> tengi. Oh. Uh, they were fined for committing minor hooliganism, according to the Kazakh news website informborough.kz. Do you think Kazakhstan didn't uh, Kazakhstan didn't think Borat was as funny as we did? Is that the is that the moral of this story? John? I don't think they should. Where in the hell the is it anyway? Up in the mountains there someplace? Mm. It's over by that Stan. Yeah. One of the Stan countries. You got your Russia, mm-hmm. then you got all of these, and it's one of these in here mm-hmm. somewhere. In uh, answer to your question, Patrick, <laughs> the, the last line of this story says, the film offended many Kazakhs <laughs> by portraying the country as backward oh. and degenerate. <laughs> so the moral of that story is don't mess with Uncle Terry. <laughs> Something like that. A 62-year-old man has been arrested after police received a report of someone smeared in blood outside a western Michigan gas station. Mason County Sheriff Kim Cole said today deputies were questioning the man after seeing blood on an adjacent trailer home in Custer Township. Uh, The man's name, Roy Purple. Okay. The uh, deputies said he bum-rushed deputies, fell on one of them. Deputies later learned the blood was from a dead deer. (laughs) Cole said three other men in the trailer appeared intoxicated, told deputies they were cooking food and walked them to a ditch by the road where the dead deer was in chunks with meat cut out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> Jeez. Nice group. Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't, they, oh my word. Oh. They didn't gut her? They just cut her just out? Just cut some chunks of meat out and took oh. them home. Took those, cook back, those back strips. They could have some dengue. You have to take, you have to take the fur off to get the back straps. <laughs> oh, you for, do? Yeah. Which you didn't do for me, thank you. <laughs> Purple has been charged with resisting police from his original encounter with them at the gas station. Wow. Police officers in the Massachusetts town jokingly recommend drivers get a little more creative if they make their own illegal license plates. The Hopkintown Police Department showed a Facebook post, a driver that was stopped with a license plate made from an empty pizza box. (laughs) (laughs) The department uh, Facebook post discouraged people from making their own plates, Hopkinton police said the driver is facing charges that include operating an uninsured and unregistered vehicle and attaching fake homemade plates. Is this a thing among the ne'er-do-wells to just uh, make their own license plates? I plenty? have been told that you can make your own license plate. It just as long as you have the registration stickers on it, you're fine. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was a debate about this a few years ago because the, the people keep seeing semi trucks with you know homemade license plates on the back with the stickers on. 
And if I remember right, it's okay. Yeah, but don't we have to have a registration? Doesn't that's what I mean. Be... You have to have it, the registration okay. on there. Yeah. All right. But that sounds bunk to me. I still don't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> a Canadian man whose vanity license plate grab her was revoked by authorities for being inappropriate is suing for the right to keep driving through town with it. Mm. Uh, the reason his license plate is grab her, that's his name. Lauren Grabber, mm-hmm. a retiree in Nova Scotia, <laughs> he said he's had that plate on different family vehicles for 27 years. I'm with him. And suddenly, it's his name. Suddenly mm-hmm. in January, he said the province revoked it. Spokesman for the Provincial Transport Department denied the rejection of the plate was related to a comment made by President Trump during the election. Uh, Grabber, though, says he's not so sure. He said Canada is not a country where a person gets to be offended at everything, writing in his affidavit. <laughs> he said, I'm increasingly dismayed by the hypersensitivity of some people who yes. are offended by every little thing they encounter. Nice. Such diversity and freedom are impossible if the government seeks to eliminate or limit every little thing and every little difference that could be perceived as offensive to someone. Grabber said he's always been proud of his surname, which is why it's on his plate. Uh, it shows his Austrian-German heritage. This case is scheduled to be heard sometime next year. Hey, Suits. What did his grandfather do for a living? Uh, let's not get into that. It's too late. <laughs> Germany and Austria. Uh, Such, did you see that U- USA Today article I put in your mail? Yeah, it was our last segment today. It's fantastic. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Hyperloop I- coming to Denver. You put your car on a tray, you sit in the car, it takes you to Boulder in eight minutes. Patrick, it's like when you get pulled through a car wash. Have you ever been in one of those things where you drive in and it hooks up and pulls yes, you through? Yes. He's not it's, only been in it, he's been stuck. In it. it's, <laughs> it's, it's like that, only 200 miles per hour. Sweet. This yeah. is not going to be, this is going to be expensive, though. Who the hell how cares? Much, how much are they going to spend to build it? Oh, God, billions. <laughs> but it's a private public partnership. And they're trying it out in Denver. Yeah. But it it's, looks a little, it's it looks still cool. on the planning block. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. A woman who's Think of how quick you could get to Fort Myers, Pat. How about you to Chan Hassan? Oh, that'd be great. I'm all in. I'm all in. Especially oh, this is just going to be more urban sprawl now. Blah, 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 hippie. Smoking weed. What are you running for, Mayor in Hopkins? A woman whose husband had just overdosed in their Staten Island home was so worried that responding cops would find their stash of heroin that she snorted it and then overdosed as well. Oh, that's that's a good genius. plan. That's what the plan. Genius. Uh, it gets even better, as you'll see in just a moment. A 44-year-old Scott Bavard and his wife, Lori, nearly died in their Oakwood Heights house Saturday morning during a weekend of overdoses on Staten Island that killed two people and hospitalized six more. The couple here was saved by quick-thinking medics. Gallo Bavard called cops, was afraid of getting busted. She said she was unaware of a state law that protects 911 callers reporting an OD. She said, I found the stuff he used. I hid it because I was afraid of the police. Both had used heroin in the past. She had the anti-overdose medicine naloxone in the house. But Mm -hmm. she forgot about it, she said, because she panicked. Mm -hmm. Police and medics arrived in time to administer the medicine. Uh, She said, I found the stuff he used. I hid it because I was afraid they'd find it. As medics worked on her husband, Gallo Bavard scooped up three envelopes of heroin, ran into the bathroom, and flushed two of them before using one of them, according mm. to sources. So, in other words, she could have flushed three of them, but she decided to have a little herself. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Couldn't get all three of them down. Just there. couldn't make that laugh. <laughs> as, as she went for the flusher, her hand was just shaking like this. <laughs> and a German zoo will no longer be able to let children take part in one of its main attractions, 
Swimming with crocodiles and alligators. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's the, awesome. The Go bi- ahead, jump in, you little chicken. <laughs> don't be a wuss. They don't have teeth. <laughs> the ban aims to protect children from the reptiles. It was made official in a court ruling. Previously, the Crocodile Zoo in Friedberg, Hesse, let minors interact with the animals by feeding them and swimming in the <laughs> same water, but only if a guide from the zoo was present. Little tiny ones? <laughs> Watching with a camera. Ones. The picture I saw looked like normal alligator crocodile size. What is wrong with those krauts? <laughs> Who came up with this idea? Adult. Hitler. Well, apparently this plant, it's, <laughs> yeah, right, it's yeah. worked fine. They haven't had any problem with it. Nobody's ever been attacked, uh, but they thought it was just a little too dangerous. But it does mean we'll no longer have the popular jungle birthday party package for kids, ah. which includes up-close photos with the animals. The ban uh, comes after a decision by the council which stated a barrier should be present at all times, and if an adult chooses to swim with the animals, they have to be warned of the serious risks of being in such close contact with Does the German ha- Germany have a mellow type of alligator or something? They might, <laughs> they they might be a different breed. Okay. The casual gator. Mm-hmm. All right, Johnny. Not a lot of time for casual conversation today, Joe. We have uh, 4.15, Matthew Collard reporting from Winter Park. Uh, Jordan Bianchi reporting from the finals race of the NASCAR uh, Monster Cup season. And uh, then we have Herm. Then we have Jess Myers with the Hockey Half Hour. Then you're uh, off to Wyomania. I'm off to Wyomania. Then I'm going to Florida for Thanksgiving. I will not be back till a week from Monday. Holy mackerel. Tomorrow, Tommy Pellicero uh, will be filling in for me. And we have Seaford at 515. This is some big brain football talk. We get Pellicero and Seaford together, baby. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, yes. So, Herm today at uh, 515, so. And uh, we've already done the Molitor interview. Yes, you don't intend to redo no, no. that. We've uh, we've uh, is eight, are eighteen that. points for first place. Is that a landslide or no? Uh, it was eighteen out of thirty. You know, and uh, Francona was got eleven first place votes, and Hinch only got one. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a it was a nice, comfortable victory. Fifteen hundred ESPN is KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis. It's thirty four degrees. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today.